You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons. Visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. As we enter into the the message today, we've been in this series called uh, Plot Twist. We're looking at the book of Isaiah because so many times in the book of Isaiah, what we see, we see a God who shows up very differently than what we expected. And most often it turns out to be the very God we need. Um, Sometimes perhaps not the God we want uh, because it's uncomfortable and requires change. But um, today we're we're gonna look at a theological issue uh, and, and look at a plot twist around it. Uh, one of the, the, the great leaders of the church, the African Bishop Augustine, who, uh, you know, has influenced Christianity for uh, all the centuries since then. He was mostly taught in the fourth century. Um, he had this one teaching that um, he taught that God had no emotions. Super interesting, right? And in part, you know, he's coming out of a, a Greco-Roman cultural um, world. He was in Alexandria, very uh, academic city. And so he was a real academic himself, real scholar. And uh, <clears throat> that was just the culture he taught out of. And that got picked up um, through the centuries. There's a guy, probably the one of the two biggest theologians sort of in the middle centuries of the church, a guy named Anselm of Canterbury. Uh, He wrote this. He's talking about God. He's writing to God. He says, thou canst not suffer with others. Thou dost not feel emotion. Thou art not affected by any share in our wretchedness. Well, how about that? So God doesn't suffer with people. God doesn't feel emotion. God's not affected by pandemics or oppression or or when you stub your toe. God's emotionally, um, it's called impassable is the technical word that they used in theology. And there's this idea that that got passed down and then into our tradition as a church through um, John Calvin through Martin Luther, uh, these great theologians of the 16th century, uh, that this is what God's like. God has no emotions. And in part because they valued a tight system of theology that made sense out of things that they needed to make sense out of. And in so, so many ways, it's so helpful. And yet in other ways, it's not very helpful. Right? It's just not. It's not where we live. And so many times, I don't know about you, but um, I I know a lot of people who grew up with emotionally distant parents, right? Parents who could not engage emotionally. Uh, And that's reinforced by what they were taught on Sundays. And 
it really makes a mess out of families. It makes a mess out of our lives. And so today we come to a passage of scripture that really flies in the face of this teaching. Um, and I wouldn't say that it means that the teaching of, of all those great theologians is, is wrong. I would say there's another layer. And I think as we unpack our relationship with God, that it's really helpful to, to broaden our understanding. And, and scripture really helps us with that. So we're going to read from Isaiah 15 and listen in to the emotion that you hear. This is God speaking in Isaiah 15. Uh, May Kim, who is a psychologist in our midst, uh, May, are you, can you unmute and say hi? Good morning. Right, good morning. Uh, May's going to read for us uh, this morning from Isaiah 15. A prophecy against Moab. Ar in Moab is ruined, destroyed in the night. Kerr in Moab is ruined, destroyed in the night. My heart cries over Moab. Her fugitives flee as far as Zor, as far as Eglath Shalis. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks so much, May. My heart cries over Moab. God sees her fugitives. Uh, another translation is refugees. God sees them fleeing far away to Egypt. And God's heart breaks. God weeps. It's this sense that God actually does have deep emotion. God actually is deeply affected by what affects us. In Isaiah 63, towards the end of the book, there's sort of this summary statement after some of the just glorious passages that you see marching through Isaiah. And it's such a helpful summary in Isaiah 63. It says, in all their distress, God too was distressed. And the angel of God's presence saved them. And in God's love and mercy, God redeemed them. God lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. This is a different view of God than many of us were taught. And some of us are coming here from uh, no religious tradition. And others are coming from uh, kind of a rigid or Calvinist tradition where God was uh, had no emotion. And others come from a, a Pentecostal tradition where there was a lot more emotion. So we all have to sort it out. But there's a sense in which Isaiah is prophesying and he's articulating this God who is distressed by our distress. A God who weeps over Moab. In the book of John, chapter 11, the shortest verse of the Bible that some of you memorized because you had to memorize something. And so this got you, you know, a checkbox somewhere. 
Jesus's friend has died and the family is broken. And the scripture says, Jesus wept. That's not unusual for Jesus. We see him weeping other places in scripture. And the truth about our faith is that it's not just that Jesus was like God. It's that God's like Jesus. Jesus says, if, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Like, this is, this is what God is like. There used to be a song when I was coming along in my faith last century. Uh, maybe some of you have heard it. Uh, it's called, Our God is an Awesome God. Have some of you heard that faith, uh, that song? It's like a golden oldie, right? For those of us who are raised in this tradition. Uh, look at it. It's kind of a fun, it's a great worship song. It's lovely. Um, our God is an awesome God. But I wonder if Isaiah might put in a verse that said, our God is a weeping God. Because that's what he does. Our God weeps. God wept over Moab. Jesus wept over his friends. And ultimately, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to weep also. Now, I want to I pause here for a moment and, and think a little bit about weeping because... Isaiah, when he, when he prophesies in, in chapter 15 about God weeping over Moab and tracking her refugees as they move internationally and keeping a close eye on them, there's some, <clears throat> it gets complicated, right? Um, our relationship with Moab is complicated. Isaiah is preaching to a bunch of Jewish people and their relationship with Moab was, it was messy. And I suspect it's, it was messy like you have relationships that are messy. And it matters because these are the people that God weeps over. It would kind of be nice if God just wept over us and the sadness in our lives, which God does. And we kind of like to leave it at that. But God actually weeps over Moab also. And so let's think a little bit about this complicated relationship. Uh, Israel and Moab were political rivals. They invaded each other. They went to war with each other. Um, they killed each other. At various points in time, they reigned over each other. They oppressed each other. They were technically what you would call enemies. And I suspect that most of us here, if we thought about it and thought about it geopolitically, thought about it uh, about other nations or other political groups, we have enemies, people that we strongly disagree with 
and we would rather rule over them than have them rule over us. Am I, am I speaking to you? <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm channeling my friend Larry Dove here. It's like, do you hear me now, church? Do you hear me now, church? Right? This is who, this is who God weeps over. And the weird thing about our political rivals or our enemies is that they're also our allies, right? There was times when there was a, a giant invader from the east. So in this case, around Isaiah's time, the Assyrians, when, when they're pressing in with all their armies, suddenly, look who's best friends, Moab and Israel. They're like, I love you. <laughs> Let's, you know, I'll cover your back, you cover mine. And there, we have these strange bedfellows politically at various points in time, all of us do, because our relationship with Moab is complicated. Now, Moab and Israel were also religiously distinct. They each laid claim to their own uh, system of worship, the gods they worshiped. And there was a lot of tension about that. Uh, there's, uh, there are funny passages in, in the way that, uh, the way that Christian commentators refer to them are embarrassing, of course. Uh, I was just doing some reading this week, and they were talking about how the Moabite women would go and seduce the good Jewish boys and make them worship their gods. Of course, if you actually read the text, that's not exactly what it says. In a patriarchal world, it's not like, you know, the women are being sent out to go seduce the boys, and, you know, it's, no. No, there's rape and pillaging going on. It's, it's this horrible sight of, of religious warfare and trying to subvert each other. It's awful. And there's all this tension. They are enemies. And yet, they have all these shared values at the same time. There's some values around honor and shame, around prioritizing family, uh, even some of their religious, specifically religious practices were very similar. And so the problem with Moab is that it's complicated. And our relationship with the people we disagree with religiously, they're complicated too. Moab and Israel are also ethnically different. Oh, they're, it's, it's sort of like um, Cambodian versus Vietnamese right? Uh, they're ethnically different. For the untrained eye, you'd be like, seems the same, right? It's Irish and English, right? Ethnically, they're, they're different. They're different cultures. And to the untrained eye, we're like, yeah, they're all the same. Well, actually, they're not. But sure, there are some similarities. And their family connections. That's one of the most interesting things with Moab and Israel is that there are family connections that goes all the way back to, back to Abraham and Abraham's family. These are the people in your family where there's some differences, but there's also some, some similarities. They're the ones Moab was the ones that your mother warned you against, right? Back in Deuteronomy 23 and Numbers 25, Moab were the bad people. And yet, 
There are also heroes from Moab, like Ruth, who we studied this summer. All through the relationship between Israel and Moab, in some ways, it's this giant parable because it's, it's your life and it's mine. All the people out there, the ones that we struggle with most, they're the ones that God weeps over. And God recognizes there's, this is complicated. It's over Moab that God weeps. And so the invitation is for you and to me is to think about those that we disagree with, those in our families, those in our country, those from different religious traditions. There, boy, I, I hear a lot of people struggling with the religious tradition they grew up in. A lot of anger there and so much of it justifiable. And yet you don't, we don't hear enough God's invitation to weep instead of to curse. In Luke 19, when Jesus approaches Jerusalem, it says that he saw the city and he wept over it. He said, if you even you had only known on this day would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Ah. These were the people who would crucify Jesus. And yet he wept over them. And you wonder how, how did Jesus get there? How do you have that kind of maturity to truly weep, not in a patronizing way, not with, I don't know, a condescending pity, but in love. Marion Wright Edelman uh, is one of the other great heroes of the kind of civil rights movement. She worked in particular for civil rights for children, particularly children of color, poor children. She started, she's the founder of the Children's Defense Fund, which many of you know of. She was actually the very first black female lawyer in the state of Mississippi. It took till 1964 for there to be a black female lawyer in the state of Mississippi. She was the first one. And yet as she went on her journey, she didn't just try to change the world, she grew herself. It's actually what made her the leader that she was. And so this is what she wrote at one point. She said, learn to be quiet enough to hear the genuine in yourself so that you can hear it in others. A towering activist, lobbied Congress, got bills passed, changed the foster care system, to more for kids than, I mean, just about anybody. Just learn how to be quiet. Listen to what's really going on in your own heart. Because so many times we'll 
we'll make enemies out there because we haven't looked at the enemies in here. We can't weep for others because we haven't truly wept for ourselves. So the invitation today, sorry, it's sort of that kind of sermon, but what do you do? Um, the invitation is to weep. To weep with a God who weeps. A God who is deeply affected by the world. Who's deeply affected by your pain and the pain of others, even if the others are your enemies. It's actually the only way forward. Another author who uh, I just totally appreciate his insight. He, he's talking about in the end of the Gospel of John, when the women are at the tomb and they're just weeping because they, they're so sad that Jesus is gone. And this is what he writes. <clears throat> the women at the tomb were observing the customs of mourning they were weeping for Jesus. Their eyes were full of tears when the realization hit them that Jesus was not in the grave. For the poor, the widows, for a colonized nation, the eyes are the organ that registers pain. They saw Jesus through their tears. Grief may also be the precondition for resurrection and tears for permitting the eyes to see. It's really hard to get to the resurrection without tears, to get to hope, to get to um, reconciliation, a renewed life personally and with our loved ones and our families that we disagree with, people in our nation, that we struggle with. The invitation is for us to weep, to weep with Jesus. Because though sorrow may tarry for the night, joy comes in the morning, as the scripture says. It's this idea that you we have to die to rise again at every time I don't know about you, but every time I cry, I just feel like I'm dying, right? I hate crying. And I realize some of you are really good at it. I am really not, really not. There was a moment this week, I've been, <laughs> I've been working on this in therapy for like five years now. So <laughs> there's a moment this week where I was like, oh my goodness, those are tears in my eyes. And I literally had this moment. It's like, I no, no, I don't want those. And then I was like, no, no, no. No, 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 therapy, remember this. Lean into the tears, not away from them. Lean into them. I'm literally having this conversation in my brain, right? Because it's so hard. And as I just, I'm like, okay, I'm going to lean into the tears. Like these, it was just the most redemptive moment. Ah, I felt like I was going to die. And yet I came alive. That's where I came alive. I, I, was, I was thinking this morning, I was doing a reflection yesterday on my, take some time in the mornings just to pray and reflect and realized it was the highlight of my week. 
So we're going to take some moment and you, you may cry. You may not cry. That's fine. I can't make you cry. Obviously, I can't make myself cry. But uh, this is an invitation to at least start on this journey, this journey with Jesus to weep over what needs to be wept over. And that is in your life, in our world's life. It's in the lives of people that we don't agree with. And so we're going to take some time to reflect. Um, and let me, I think I'm going to plug here. Um, so can you still hear me? Yeah. Okay. Um, so we're going to have a little musical selection um, played by Timothy White. And uh, some questions are going to just show up in the chat here. And we're going to take two or three minutes and just take your time with this. There, there's no rush. Um, and you're not forced into anything. It's more just an invitation to start this process of following Jesus in this very authentic, biblical way of, um, of becoming mature in Christ and getting in touch with our sadness. Okay, so as Timothy plays, there'll be a question that pops up and maybe 30 seconds later, another question will pop up and just let the, the questions may help you. They may not, but just spend this time now with Jesus uh, who weeps over, who weeps over us all with great love.